Mission Chats with John Crow. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you someone who I've known for, I think, about 30 years altogether. He's another Aussie, so you'll enjoy some Aussie accent here in this chat. His name is Jeff, and he is serving in a unique part of the world. So, Jeff, I want to just ask you, like I usually do, would you mind sharing just your testimony, how you came to the Lord, but also the journey you've been on in missions since then, and even maybe before then, uh, thinking back to your family and things like that. Let us hear how you've come to this point. Yeah, sure. Well, my story begins right back. I was actually born into a missionary family. My parents were missionaries in Venezuela, in South America. But I was only very young, like two and a half years old when they came back to Australia. But then being uh, in a mission organization, we had missionaries coming and going all the time. So I was sort of, you know, born into mission, if you like. At about five years old, I came to the Lord when I was five, actually. Mm -hmm. My dad was actually reading me a Bible story while I was having a bath, of all things. And (laughs) I just simply asked him, I want to ask Jesus to come into my life. And so my dad prayed with me and I became a believer at that Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. But when I was 14, I guess as a teenager, you start to wonder if you're just following your parents or if it's really something that you believe yourself. And I started having all those questions. But at that time, we had a really, really good youth leader. And one youth group night, he blacked out all the lights, all the windows, turned off all the lights, made us lie on the floor. And he played a song called The Champion by Carmen at full ball. And now that song goes for about 10 minutes. Yep. <laughs> and that was such a powerful picture for me of Jesus and Satan in the boxing ring, as it were, in the song, and how Jesus actually won the fight, even though it looked like Satan won it at first. Jesus won it. And at the very end of the song, when he kind of comes alive again, in the song it says, proclaim the news in every tongue, through endless ages and beyond. Let it be made known from mountains loud and strong. Captivity has been set free. Salvation for you and me. Because Satan is defeated and Jesus is the champion. Right. And that, that yeah. song had yeah. a mighty impact on me. Mm. And at 14 years of age, when I was lying on the floor in that pitch black room, listening to that song, God, I knew, was calling me into mission. So I uh, finished high school. I, I did a carpentry apprenticeship. And uh, when I was 22 years old, I was beginning to think, what's the purpose of life? As probably many of us do at that age. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, you know, it's just life seems so meaningless. And what's the, what's the point of just going to work all the time? And, and I had, I was having these, these thoughts. And at that time, there was a lady who came and spoke to me and she invited me to come to the Gambia in West Africa just for three months to build a church there or a community center. She said, I need a carpenter. And I said, well, you know, I've only just finished my apprenticeship. I'm not qualified enough. And she basically said, look, I'm a nurse. If you don't come, then I have to organize it. (laughs) So so you can do a better job than me. So just, you know, come. I said no several times. I I said, I'll pray about it. (laughs) Anyway, one day she grabbed me by the shoulders and looked me square in the eyes. And she said, Jeff, I will not accept an answer no from you unless you first really take it to the Lord in prayer. Mm -hmm. And if he clearly tells you no, then I'll accept the no. But you have to first ask him very specifically. And so I did. I went to the Lord and I said, do you want me to go to the Gambia? 
And through an amazing, it was actually through a Bible verse that I, I actually took it out of context, which probably isn't right. the best thing to do. But God <laughs> yeah. very yeah. clearly showed me that he wanted me to go. Mm. So I went. I went there for three months, and that had a profound impact on my life. It's a country that's 99% Muslim, and, you know, they asked me curly questions that I didn't know how to answer, even though mm-hmm. I grew up in a Christian family. And it was there that I decided to go to Bible college. Okay. And so I applied, and then I went to Bible college, a missionary training college in Tasmania, in Australia, called Worldview, a wonderful college. And I studied there for three years. And then after that, I basically was ready to go. Okay. And I joined a mission organization called WEC International and did the candidate orientation for that. And then basically I said, well, Lord, I'm ready to go. Where do you want me to go? I had reduced everything I owned to just 23 kilograms, John. <laughs> wow. yeah, that's right. Yep. <laughs> and, and, yeah, ready to travel. And, yeah. And I, and I either sold it or gave it away or took a photo of it for keepsake. Wow. And... Um, yeah, and then I thought God was actually calling me to Albania. Okay. And three times I tried to go but had difficulties getting visas. Right. And then I said, well, okay, maybe it's not Albania. So long story short, I asked three people who were significant in my life, my mum and dad and also my pastor at the time and also the uh, leader of our mission organisation mm-hmm. uh, at the time, And I asked all three of them where they thought I should go, and all three of them suggested Mongolia without having talked to each other or anything. So then I thought, okay, well, maybe it's Mongolia then. (laughs) (laughs) So I wrote an email to the leader of our team in Mongolia, and I said, what are the chances of me coming to Mongolia long term? And the very same day, he wrote back and said, very good. Can you come tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) I said, I can't come tomorrow. I need a visa. Right. He said, don't worry about that. We'll organize that for you. So one month later, I arrived in Mongolia, with the language student visa. And yeah, haven't looked back. So there were people who had lots of excuses why I shouldn't come. Like that, some people said to me, you shouldn't go as a single guy. Mm-hmm. Others said, you know, you really should set yourself up financially first. And I actually also had a chronic neck injury that I had to maintain. And people said, oh, you shouldn't travel with that injury. But I sort of knew that the Lord was calling me and it was a matter of obedience to go. Mm-hmm. So I came. Right. And, and just to close off this story, uh, the Lord gave me a wife while I was here in Mongolia. Yes. And also I bought an apartment here after about two years of being here because it was really cheap compared to Australia. And I had money saved because I was thinking about buying a house in Australia until God told me to come here. And then I fell off a horse in the very first month that I was in Mongolia. And falling off that horse actually, though painful, healed my neck. I haven't had a problem with my neck since falling off that horse. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Now, of course, speaking of horses, I think many of us probably have a picture of what Mongolia is like. And we would yeah. think, you know, horsemen and things like that. Yeah. But I know, you know, modern Mongolia is is probably quite different for the most part. So can you give us a little insight into kind of where you live currently, but also the breadth of culture and things like that that you've experienced and seen in Mongolia? Yeah. So about half the population lives in the capital city, which is Ulaanbaatar, and it's a city. It's a sprawling city, old Russian block, you know, buildings. Right. Uh, 
Plus, there's these days there's a lot of modern high-rise buildings going up. The roads are improving every year, so we've got fairly good paved roads in the city now. Right. But you still only have to go three or four kilometres out of the centre of the city and you come to what we call the Gare District. And there many people live in like brick block houses or mud brick houses or, or Mongolian gears, like the round felt tent, or sometimes they're called yurts. But here in Ulaanbaatar, we can get nearly all the things that we need as far as food and, you know, clothes and cars and all those sort of things go. Mm-hmm. Everything gets imported from everywhere these okay. days. Mm-hmm. But it, you only have to go, you know, 60 or 80 kilometers out of the city and you're in the country. And right. it's just... Total different story. Yeah. You've still got the herdsmen looking after their sheep and goats and cows and camels and yaks. Right. And, you know, people on horseback or motorcycle these days mm-hmm. and dressed in their Mongolian clothes with the Mongolian hats. And right. so it's like two worlds. Sure. <laughs> the city compared with the country, it's very, very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, but most people still have links with the country. And even right. though these days they may not move as nomads mm-hmm. if they're living in the city they still have a mindset of a nomad many okay. of them yeah i think it's a fascinating context and culture and unique place to serve in many ways but like you said too it's that juxtaposition of you know mm. the the rich heritage mixed mm. in now i'm sure with in many ways a modern world so yeah fantastic well thanks jeff that's helpful insight as we think of mm. your context where you're serving yeah well, next up, I'd love to hear a little bit about your ministry focus currently and maybe some of the steps you've taken to get to where you are today. Uh, I know mm-hmm. as we were chatting a little bit before the call, it may or may not be exactly what you had in mind. But at the same time, I know you've experienced quite a few different types of ministry along the way. So I'd mm-hmm. love to hear a little bit of that too. So I did two years of language learning full time, which was extremely good for learning the not only the language, but the culture as well. And at that time, I saw my language teachers as my mission field. Mm. And when I couldn't speak the language, I organized a volleyball competition. Okay. Where I invited my teachers and teammates and, and also a Mongolian house church pastor. My idea was that I would introduce my teachers to the Mongolian house church pastor and he would share the gospel with them. And some of my teachers came to the Lord. So that okay. was really good. The next visa I had was a religious visa, actually. I got a religious visa through a a church that our team had started and handed over to local leadership some years before. And with that visa, I thought I had a lot of freedom, uh, but it turns out I didn't have as much freedom as I as I thought. Okay. We actually started a little church on the outskirts of the city, but I was called up by some government officials and told that despite having that visa, I didn't have the freedom that I thought I had. And so... Okay. I was forced to not live there or work there at all or else be removed from the country. Right. So we had to change focus a little bit to, you know, stay in country. Then I, I've actually married a, a Mongolian. Right. And so, mm-hmm. so I'm on a, a spouse visa, okay. which uh, still has to be renewed, but it gives me a, an awful lot of freedom to live where I want and do what I want. So I, I, we've lived in the country. We lived in the very far country doing nomad outreach ministry for some years. We did that. We did various projects with the nomads, and it was just an amazing time. That's where my heart is to this day, to be honest. Right. But right now we're here in the city, and our, our team is like an Olympic team in that we're all barracking for each other as we right. do our different events. 
So we have an NGO that is for the homeless okay. and looking after the most of the homeless are alcoholics. So we do a, a work with them. We also have another NGO where we're working with children who are from very disadvantaged families and helping them in the area of education. Right. So I'm actually our team leader. So I oversee our team, my wife and I. But our heart is very much in church planting. Mm-hmm. So we're working with a local uh, church. It has a local pastor, but we've been with them since nearly the beginning, encouraging them and uh, helping them to grow, making disciples. And praise the Lord, the church is growing. We actually have now uh, a, a vision to start a new church okay. about 20 kilometers out of the city. And we've actually bought some land and a big Mongolian gear okay. um, and yeah. a church. And so soon... Our family plans to move out there so we can be close and help start that new church there as well. Wonderful. So that's pretty much in a nutshell right. <laughs> some of the things that we've been doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Now, you mentioned ministry helping alcoholics. Is that a, a big piece of the culture and context there? Is that something a lot of people are dealing with? Yes. They, they say there's an alcoholic in every family. Oh, which wow. you know it might not be 100% true but there's certainly a lot of a lot of people have issues with alcohol mm-hmm. sadly i think it was one of the things that was introduced by the russians when they were under soviet communist rule right but yeah and it's a thing that affects people to this day sure so we when when people come to the lord very often it's a process for them to be free from the bondage of alcohol mm. but and praise the lord the- Many come free. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that is wonderful. Amazing testimony of the power of God in people's lives as they submit themselves mm. to him. And with the children, I mean, what's the context as far as families? Are there strong family units in Mongolian culture or there are a lot of children who you know wouldn't have parents or both parents? How does that look in Mongolia? In Mongolia, I'd say often children are talked down to rather than spoken to if you know what I mean, like they, mm-hmm. they should be seen and not heard, you know. Right. A lot of children, Mongolians actually travel a lot. There's a lot of Mongolians who are abroad right now. Okay. And many, many kids grow up without one or both parents. Right. Many kids grow up with their grandparents. A lot of kids have an alcoholic, you know, both mum and dad could be alcoholics as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there are some families that are strong and great. Yep. But on the whole, I'd say most children don't have that strong father figure in their life. So most of the songs that they sing in Mongolia are aimed at the mother, how much they love their mother. Okay. Um, there are a few songs that talk about the father, but but the majority are the mother. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. So a strong maternal connection in the in the culture there. Yes. Yeah. Very strong. Oh, yes. Fascinating. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And we're going to pause here in my chat with Jeff and we will resume the conversation in the next episode. So I hope you'll be able to tune back in to catch the rest of Jeff's story. And I look forward to being able to share that with you then. And once again, thank you so much for listening. Find us online at missionchats.com.